0: And gospel lesson today is from Luke chapter 3, starting in the 15th verse. As you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, And was praying that the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The gospel of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Do you like the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? Or just the thought of change maybe just rubs you the wrong way. It reminds me that some things change and we like it, some things change and we don't. Maybe sometimes we understand why. I was listening to a podcast This week, and they asked the audience, What's something you miss? You understand why it changed, like maybe a rotary phone for one of these, but you still miss it. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the dark days, like when Dion's wasn't selling ranch dressing. (laughs) I'm talking about. Those things that you know needed to change, but you still miss it. Now, Saturday night service yesterday, I asked folks to talk to their neighbor and the introverts uh, threw daggers at me. So I won't make you do that this morning. But think about this uh, for a moment. What is it that's something that you miss? You understand why it changed. Sometimes we get... Angry at change. Sometimes we feel hurt by it. And yet, in the midst of this topsy-turvy world and by the way, that's one of the things that doesn't change either, right? This world is topsy-turvy, and it always has been. And yet and yet, in the midst of all of this change, some of which we like and some of which we don't, there are some things about being human that stay the same. Things, regardless of age, how old you are today, or what era you live in, human longings that seem to stay and remain. We seek affirmation that we'll be okay, that we're okay, that that we're valuable, that we have worth. Think about what it meant to you when a parent or a respected adult gave you that affirmation that you've arrived or that you got this. You know how important it is because for some of us here, you're still waiting for that, waiting to hear that and feel the pain of waiting for that. Or the power of authority or having some power of your own to do good. You long for significance, don't we? To make a difference, or maybe just be in control. We feel the pain of being out of control even when our Facebook platform gets changed once again, right? Or we notice the divisiveness in politics today and wonder if things could ever be at peace. So, what is real? What answers those two questions? Those questions of value and worth. Those questions of meaning and significance. How can we even answer them when we know our own brokenness, our own limitations? Especially when we find out the things that we thought would give us meaning and significance keep falling short. Oh, success at school or at work or in business and in life. And once we've arrived, it doesn't taste quite as sweet or fill the gap as much as we thought it would, or even family as great as that is, when that doesn't satisfy either. The things of this world never quite answer those questions as we'd like them to. And even when we find meaning and significance and we feel like we're making a difference, we realize that sneaking truth that some of it's done out of our own selfish ambition. And then we're brought down again. So what will finally answer those questions? What is real? And I think that question of reality and those deep longings in the human life and experience lead us and bring us to Luke chapter 3 this week. They drive us to the word. And we hear here Jesus, and we see Jesus being baptized, and we're left to wonder what does baptism mean, and what does it mean in my own baptism? Could this be something real? something that's transcendent, something that convicts and converts and affirms? Of course, the answer is yes, but some of you and all of us in many ways are wondering, how can this be? Well, Luke makes painstaking effort in his gospel, and in particular in this chapter, to situate what is going on in the historical world around him and the around Jesus to mark it, to mark even the location, even in our prayer on this day that we commemorate the baptism of Jesus, we note that it happened in the Jordan. The Bible isn't afraid to anchor and mark that which is real in the spiritual world with what is going on in this physical world. Give the hallmarks of truth, historical, critical, Scholars will tell us when we give these details that can be tested against, but we don't have time to look at all those markers, those genealogies, those archaeological uh, pieces that have been discovered to say amen to the truth and the reality of this testimony. So if you are wondering about that, talk to me more after worship today. I'd love to get into a, a further conversation with you about them. Because as John preaches good news, that's John the Baptist here in Luke's gospel, preaches what he calls good news into this reality. He does it with the reality of the brokenness that we all know. He brings and welcomes all people, the religious and the unreligious, the the poor and the rich, all to the Jordan River to be baptized Unless you can address the thing that is between you and your friend, between you and your spouse, between you and that relationship, that relationship can never really be restored. Oh, We might try to ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist, but in the heat of battle, in the heat of life, it comes rushing back. And so it must be dealt with. It must be repented. It must be redeemed. But you have to have the authority to do that. And in the midst of preaching this good news, John gives us a little bad news with a taste of reality that his baptism of repentance is incomplete. That it's just the beginning that which separates you will not fully be satisfied in his baptism. That is, until the one who is greater than he comes, the one who can separate the wheat from the chaff, the one who will bring purification and condemnation later in the second coming. But this wheat and chaff, this one who can separate, the one with power, John tells us is coming and he is not worthy to even unfasten his sandal. Now you get to understand the significance of this, the significance of what John the Baptist is telling us here in the Gospel of Luke about who is about to come. He's telling us that the one who is to come is so great that even you see, even in the time of Jesus, rabbis would tell their students and, and instruct them to unfasten their own sandals because even a slave is above that. Even a servant is above unfastening your sandals. And in comparison to the one who is to come, John wants us to know first that he isn't even worthy to undo a sandal, something slaves and servants wouldn't do. This one is greater, and it is not him. In fact, this one is Jesus, and he's about to be baptized. And so we discover that in the midst of this real historical moment, in this time and place, one who actually has the power to deal with the questions of worth and affirmation and of right and wrong and of purpose and meaning and significance, he is about to show up. Earlier in the gospel, it tells us another picture to know just how great this one who is coming is when it says he's preparing the way. You need to understand some more historical context to grab that. You see, roads, paved roads and cleaned up roads weren't so common then, and when someone would travel, it would be a bumpy path and there'd be grooves in the road where maybe a chariot had trod or feet had trod, but there were ups and downs and gullies and valleys and peaks, except when a king traveled. And not, as one scholar put, not just any king when the emperor, when the king of kings were traveling, then they would send an entourage out first to what, you guessed it, prepare the way. And they would fill in those gullies and flatten those big bumps and hills. Except John says, the way that's being prepared, valleys will be filled and mountains will be leveled That's how great this king is that's coming. And now we already have these two incredibly important hints of who is to come. How great the one, this Jesus, is that's being baptized in the text today. And if that's not enough evidence for you, then we get more. And that more comes from God Himself. You see, Christians are sometimes accused of making up Jesus' deity years later on in the faith. But later in Christendom. But what we discover here in these foreshadows, in this preparing of the way, in this description of the one who is to come, we discover the deity and the power, and the identity of who Jesus is right now. Right in this moment, right, in this text. And God does that himself now. And what makes this real Jesus, this real Jesus is real because he comes into the reality of where we are. He is baptized not for the forgiveness of sin for him, but to connect with who we are. And then in his anointing, to lead us somewhere else. I like how Jesuit priest and eminent scholar talks about this baptism that Jesus will bring in complete as having both purification, that's repentance, and refinement, that's transformation. In verse 21, Jesus is baptized, and we get now two more Visual images that he is the God. He is the king of kings. He is the one to bring about these promises. The first is the heavens open up. The Old Testament, whenever the heavens open up, and now here in the new, we know divine communication is about to happen. But God doesn't stop there. He gives us another visual. The Holy Spirit arrives in the form of a dove. And then finally, the audio. As we hear God himself, the Father say, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Two visuals and an audio, all with now, in this great moment, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're looking for anchors of truth God is giving it to us here in this text so that we can confess and know it's true that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus really is the one who can deal with these human longings. He can deal with them like no one else can, like nothing else we pursue can. And so this one who God calls beloved now says to you and to me the greatest affirmation of all for all those in Christ, all those baptized into the name of this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He now calls beloved. You, sisters and brothers, take on that beloved nature, not because of how good you are, but because of how good Jesus is. And so we hear in Romans chapter 6 Paul write about this when he says, don't you know that when you've been baptized into Christ you were baptized into his death, we die to our old selves and we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. We now become his beloved Talk about affirmation. Talk about power. And we get this as a free gift. Now, this gift, of of course, is something that we can mess up. We can ignore. We can blow it. But we can't diminish it. We can't diminish its worth or its treasure. You might have... Messed up in amazing, spectacular ways. You might be doing that right now. Join the club. But even in the midst of our brokenness, we can't break God's promise. Because his treasure is a gift. And we grasp it, Martin Luther says, we grasp this gift in baptism by faith. And this gift comes from the one who is greater. This gift comes with the one who can fill the valleys and flatten the mountains. The one who has the power and the authority to do it. This gift comes into the reality in the Jordan River and into the Rio Grande and into our lives. God brings that gift to us. And so now, we respond, getting this great affirmation now of being his beloved, having repented and received by grasping in faith this gift of baptism. We now follow this King of Kings. I like how Tim Keller describes how to do that. He says to rely, obey, relax, and expect. Keller says that we As we grasp this faith, we rely on it. Luther talks about this grasping. But don't kid yourself. You're not saved by how well you rely. (laughs) But you're still called to rely on it. You're called now because of his grace, because he's king, to obey. By the way, like how it's pointed out, that if you say you obey because you agree, or I should say God agrees with everything you think about him, then really the person who's God in that relationship is you. There are going to be things that you disagree with because he is God and you are not. And so we obey. Sin is dealt with by the power of the fire of the Holy Spirit coming in and purifying us and then calling us. We can't baptize ourselves. Notice John was baptizing the people there. It was a new thing to be baptized instead of baptizing yourself. Baptism had been around, but now the image is we can't do it ourselves. And so we relax. We relax because it's not our strength, it's His. And then finally, as Keller puts it, we expect God, who calls us the Beloved, we expect Him to do His work in us and to make transcendent in this ordinary life the things that we do for His glory. I like, there's a story about Evie Hill. Evie Hill is a famous pastor in Los Angeles where I used to live. And Evie would uh, like to see what would happen to unsuspecting uh, guest preachers when this woman who sat near the front, they called her 1800, I think, because maybe her age, I'm not sure, that she'd been around so long. And she would say something when the preacher would get started. She would shout out this phrase regularly at the beginning of the sermon. Get him out. Now that might startle the preacher. <laughs> Unless you knew that she was talking about wanting that preacher to bring Christ out of the word. Get Christ out. And if she didn't think he was getting Christ out, she would shout louder as the sermon went on. Get out him out and if the sermon was coming to a close and he hadn't done his job then she would stand up and say get him out because being the baptized people of God, our job now in our homes in our workplaces in the world around us and everywhere we go is to get him out so now can you answer Am I valuable? Uh, If you're baptized, you can say, not based on your merit, but based on Christ, you are the beloved of God. Do I have purpose? Do I have a calling? Yes, you do, to get him out. To be significant world changers, you get him out. And that's the authority that comes to you in your baptism from Christ. Christ. And this baptism that God ordained, and as Luther puts it, anything God institutes is not going to be useless. This treasure that he gives us, that God gives us in Christ, to be the beloved and then get him out is grounded in the reality, grounded in the reality of who Christ is. So then I say to you, Christians here today, live as the beloved live as the baptized and get him out, and not baptized yet, still wondering about all this, then I say, friends, come and talk to me. Let's get you baptized and come and experience that which is real, that which will finally answer those questions and grasp this treasure by faith, remembering whose you are and live like it, relying, obeying, relaxing and expecting for you are then the beloved of God. You do indeed have significance and you can say when you doubt or when you fail or when you're accused by the evil one or whenever you fall astray, you can come back repenting and receiving and say the truth that is eternal, that comes from God. This thing that Jesus has done You can say, I am baptized. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.